Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 855am. My name's James Whitmore and it's Sunday the 10th of October. I'd like to acknowledge the country this show is being broadcast from, the Kulin Nations, where sovereignty was never ceded. And I pay my respects to Elders past, present and to those to come. In this show we're going to hear the latest from the um, controversy over the Tasmanian farmed salmon industry. And we're going to head even further south to Antarctica to hear the latest on proposed marine parks. We'll be right back after this. A message from Victoria's community sector. I'm looking forward to not worrying that my patients are going to die of COVID. To no one else being separated from their mum in aged care. I'm looking forward to our wedding and having our family and friends from overseas here with us. I really want to see my mum. I'm looking forward to being able to welcome guests without a mask on. To having all the sports back to normal so that my family members can come and watch me play. I look forward to performing in front of a big crowd again. So please, get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Let's get back to the good things. I ask you to get vaccinated. For all of us. Please get vaccinated. A message from Victoria's community sector. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am. Tasmania's farmed salmon industry has been in hot water this year with the publication of Richard Flanagan's fiery critique and recent criticism of animal welfare certification used by the industry. Now the Tasmanian government has announced it will develop a 10-year plan for the state salmon industry, including an immediate moratorium on farming leases over the next 12 months. Under the plan, which will come into effect in 2023, the government says there will be no net increase in leased farming areas in Tasmanian waters and to increase research in offshore and land-based farms. To find out more, I spoke to Peter George from the Tasmanian Alliance for Marine Protection. All right, Peter, I'd like to start by asking you what concerns you most about the farmed salmon industry in Tasmania? It's a polluting industry that isn't sustainable. It's, uh, it's sort of uh, damaging at a whole number of levels. Um, for, and, and frankly, the Tasmanian, cons- uh, uh, the, the Tasmanian community has had enough of it. It's, its major impact is actually on our waterways. We discover that uh, we're losing important marine life. Um, the algal blooms on, uh, on beaches and in bays is not only making it unpleasant for people to use those beaches, but is also smothering the marine life and, and reefs and so on. Because what's happening is, in essence, is that you're pouring untreated sewage out of those floating fish cages straight into sheltered waters, into rivers and uh, estuaries and the, uh, the iconic Don Castro Channel. And the water is unable, the sea and the current is unable to flush away the sewage from the fish farms. Mm-hmm. And was there a particular point where you became involved in organising um, around uh, the farm salmon industry? 
Look, I got, I got involved, and, and I'll confess, the first salmon farm I ever saw, which was in Scotland, I thought what mm. a genius idea this was, that it, uh, it might save the world from uh, uh, denuding our oceans of uh, wild-caught fish and might help to feed the planet. Um, it isn't that at all, unfortunately. Uh, I moved to Tasmania. Um, I ate salmon, uh, but I started to have people talking to me about it. Started Because I have a background as an investigative reporter, I started investigating myself. Mm. And people started coming to me saying, would I help them do this? Would I help them do that? Because I discovered that down here in Tasmania, uh, a lot of people are actually quite frightened to speak up about their concerns. They think they're going to be bullied by the, uh, by the companies. Uh, they think that uh, they're going to get offside with the government. So they would rather say nothing, or they started coming to me as a sort of lightning rod, I suppose. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not working anymore. I have nothing to lose. So I started sort of speaking up for people, and the more I investigated, the more the salmon companies turned against me, the more I realized that they don't like to be questioned. They just want to get on with doing what they're doing, which is essentially uh, damaging, if not destroying our waterways. Mm. So recently the government's released a plan to, to make a plan, a 10-year salmon plan, and a key part of that is uh, that we know net increase in salmon farms. Does that in- address the concerns about the impact of the industry in the marine environment? I would love not to have to be negative about these things. Mm. The truth of the matter is that in the last 20, 30 years since the salmon farms started going here, uh, the government and the industry have worked in lockstep with each other. Uh, they bully the bureaucracy into to getting their way. Uh, the companies have got the, the politicians basically sewn up, both of the two major parties, that is uh, Labour and Liberal. And uh, they have closed their doors to any form of community consultation, community discussion, or even to any form of uh, public transparency whatsoever for the last 30 years. And what you're looking at now is a plan to make a plan that is essentially a way of trying to throw a blanket off uh, what is starting to become a fire out of control, which is uh, the lack of social license, uh, community anger at, uh, at what's happening to our waterways. Um, and if you strip down what Minister Guy Barnett's uh, plan to have a plan is all about, it doesn't actually change anything at all because... They say there'll be a moratorium on new leases. Well, there are any number of leases already available to uh, the salmon companies, uh, some of which haven't been used for many years, some of which have been left uh, empty for the time being, some of which are in use, into which more and more pens could simply be crammed with more and more fish for exactly the same amount of waterway. So the idea that uh, there's going to be no more, uh, no more sort of sea space is a nonsense. It just means that if, uh, if one salmon uh, lease starts to become so damaged that it can't be used anymore, they'll simply tow their pens to another lease, which is perfectly available somewhere else. Um, nothing changes at all about this. It is all an effort to silence community concern. And uh, as I've often said uh, many times, you know, Tasmanians aren't stupid. They know what's going on. Mm. What about the um, suggested emphasis on offshore and land-based farming in the, in the uh, announcement of this plan? Well, the federal government 
and the Tasmanian government have poured millions of dollars into this idea already. Uh, look, it, it's an untested technology. It's only been tried uh, in one place at the moment, uh, which is uh, Ocean One, it's called, off the coast of, uh, of Norway, which is something that looks like a huge oil rig in, mm. the, middle of, uh, in the middle of the sea, uh, from which they've had a number of problems, including escape, I think, of something like a million fish, if I've got the figures right. Um, but essentially, what it's going to do is it's, it's like um, you know taking a sewage pipe uh, that's been leaking onto your beach and stretching it out uh, you know um, a mile out to sea and then pumping your raw sewage out there. The the, the only place that this is this, this is liable to work, and I really don't think it would be, would be in the Bass Strait. Mm. And the problem with the Bass Strait is that it's not the sort of waterway that people think it is. It isn't as though it is flushed through from west to east, you know, at every tide. The truth of the matter is that the Lewin current, which comes down the west side of uh, the Bass Strait and the west side of uh, Tasmania, and the East Australian current on the other side, make the Bass Strait a bit like bath water, where the water slops backwards and forwards. It does not get flushed through. And the Bass Strait on the Tasmanian side is only now beginning to recover its fish stocks after decades of allowing the uh, the paint factories and the pulp and paper mills uh, from sort of spewing their uh, pollution out into the sea. So it's a, it's a real concern to people who care about Tasmania's coastline and waterways, and particularly, of course, to the, uh, to the professional fishers, the wild fishers, who, um, who are actually really what Tasmania is all about when it comes to you know, sustainability and sustainable fishing. Mm. You mentioned the, um, the increasing lack of social licence. What's yes. the feeling in the community? Can you tell us about the alliance and how that's evolved? Well, the, the alliance was formed about four years ago um, as, as a way of dealing with a, a real problem that small communities had, which is they couldn't get their voices heard at any level at all. They were fobbed off by government, and, uh, you know, apart from the occasional sort of um, uh, public relations exercise by the companies, uh, they never got, to, never got to express any concern at all. And we're talking about coastal communities who do love their waterways. You've got to remember that uh, Tasmanians have uh, owned more boats per head of population than anywhere else in Australia. I mean, you know, we are waterway lovers here, and it is one of our heartlands. It's, it's one of our treasures down here. Um, and uh, so the, the Tasmanian Alliance for Marine Protection was a way of bringing all these groups, including mine, Neighbours of Fish Farm down in the Huon Valley, into, uh, in, into one organisation that could speak as a peak body. And we called ourselves for, you know, Tasmanian Alliance for Marine Protection, but in fact, at the moment, it is essentially a salmon industry watchdog uh, trying to speak for communities about their concerns uh, with the salmon industry. Um, all I can say to you is that we have held um, so far, uh, since with Richard Flanagan, uh, who wrote the book Toxic, which is the expose of the salmon industry. We've held uh, four public meetings, one in Hobart, uh, two up in the northwest, and one down here in Signet in the south. And it has been standing room only, and not only standing room only in town halls, but actually, uh, I mean, two Saturdays ago uh, in, um, in Signet, uh, we had people spilling out. We had at least double that number spilling out into the streets. So... People are becoming increasingly aware, but 
they're only becoming aware because of the effort that the, the Alliance has made and specifically because of uh, Richard Flanagan's book Toxic, which came out in April. Mm. Because if you think about it, it's very hard to see the sort of pollution that's been created in waterways. It's not as though we've got factories with uh, smoke going into the air or mines with huge holes in the ground or, or whatever. Um, the truth of the matter is it's, it's actually quite hard to see what damage the salmon industry is doing, particularly when the Environmental Protection Agents, Agency is essentially being captured captured by the politicians and the industry. Um, the Environmental Protection Agency down here is not independent, uh, never has been independent, despite promises following the disaster in Macquarie Harbour when 1.3 million fish died and uh, there was a huge impact on the uh, World Heritage Area. Um, because the EPA exists, and this is a quote from the legislation, to uh, implement government policy. Government policy is to double the size of this industry within the next nine years, uh, but no one's actually done the science yet to, to find out if our waterways can sustain it. What, so what would you like to see change? Is, is, is it a salvageable industry? It, uh, the, there is the Dens Point Declaration, which was written by uh, a group of us um, and has been adopted by all community organisations and by the Tasmanian Alliance. Uh, which says, one, a total moratorium on any new pens in the water, not just fish farms or leases, but no new pens in the water. That's one. Two, an immediate transition led by the government to onshore fish farming, as is happening in all the other, uh, on every other continent except Australia. And three, um, regulation by independent science and regulator, uh, which, which would actually control the industry. Now, the industry doesn't want to spend money of moving ashore. Um, the industry throws up lots of problems. Well, our answer to that is that is actually the industry's problem. The truth of the matter is this is an unsustainable industry. It is damaging our waterways. And what's more is that this industry, after one or two hot summers, this industry is going to collapse. Um, the, you know, the waters are getting warmer in Tasmania more rapidly than anywhere else in Australia or indeed the world. Um, salmon are already, salmon is, is already a very dodgy commodity to be growing in these warming waters. Um, and so the tragedy will be when this industry collapses in on itself because it has simply ignored all the warnings. That was Peter George from the Tasmanian, Tasmanian Marine Protection Alliance. After the break, we're going to be hearing about the latest on marine park proposals in Antarctica. But first, here's a song. This is Nadala with Colours of My People. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio. Since my mother brought to me With ornaments for my hair Well, black is for my people And yellow is for the sun and red is for the ocean that stains my skin and dances in my love. Or maybe red is for our pleasure. And yellow is for the joy in our song. And black is for the dark storm brewing in justice. Here we go. Brother, remember you 
You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, and that was Nidala with Colours of My People. This month, nations from around the world will meet to discuss the future of Antarctica. Australia has been pushing for three marine national parks in the ocean around the continent that would protect 1% of the world's oceans. But are these parks enough to protect this precious part of the world? I spoke to Alastair Allen from the Bob Brown Foundation to find out more. All right, Alastair, can you tell us a bit about these proposed marine parks down in Antarctica? Where are they, and are they a good idea? Yeah, thanks, James. Um, so there's a, currently been a, quite a strong push for marine protected areas in the Southern Ocean. As it stands right now, only about 5% of the Southern Ocean is current, uh, covered by a marine protected area, and the new ones, there's three that are proposed. One's in East Antarctica, one's in the Weddell Sea, Weddell sea and the others off the Antarctic Peninsula. Uh, they certainly are a good idea, um, but they unfortunately have been stalled for quite a long time. Uh, and as we sort of plunge further along this road of both climate crisis and extinction crisis, um, the question will be, is, is, is such a, a small incremental gain going to be enough for the Southern Ocean? Mm-hmm. It's a really tricky place to to uh, to look after, given that so many countries are involved in Antarctica. What do you make of Australia uh, making itself uh, something of a leader of these marine parks? Yeah, it's very interesting that you mentioned that. Actually, today, uh, Monday the 4th, we're celebrating the 
30th anniversary of the Madrid Protocol, which is the Environmental Protection Protocol for uh, Antarctica. And that was actually um, brought into place uh, as part of the mining ban that was pushed by the Hawke government back in 1989. The, the, the treaty was adopted in 1991. And so Australia has a, a bit of a legacy in environmental protection in Antarctica. Um, but the question now is, is, are we doing enough? And are other actions on the continent speaking the same uh, language of protection? Um, the Australian government wants to push through and build a giant concrete airport in Antarctica. At the same time, they're pushing for a marine protected area. So I'm not a big fan of let's protect one area and trash another. So I think the Australian government needs to have a look and see whether they, they truly do have uh, Antarctica's protection uh, in their in their best minds and interest. It also seems slightly incongruous that we don't really have our climate act together, and yet... <laughs> that's, exa that's exactly right, James. I mean, if we look at the uh, Antarctic Treaty System and the 29 voting nations, of those those 29 nations, um, they, they emit 80% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and so that can only change back home Domestically, there's not carbon emissions coming out of Antarctica. It's happening, you know, back in our governments, in our towns, our cities, and our industries. And Australia um, absolutely needs to to get their act together on climate. We are lagging very, very far behind the rest of the world, and the rest of the world is lagging behind the Paris um, Agreement targets as well. So we've certainly got to pull our act together if we want to protect Antarctica. All right, that brings us to what are the biggest threats to the Southern Ocean and, and Antarctica? Clearly climate change, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, the big one is obviously climate. Um, climate change is, is going to be... is coming along faster than expected. Uh, it seems that scientists say that it's here earlier than they thought, and it will have um, enormous impacts on the Southern Ocean and Antarctica. One of the biggest ones that stands out is... Uh, krill. Now, krill are estimated to have their hatch rates uh, halved by as much as 50%, so to go down to 50% of the levels they are now. And it's a species we don't know how many there are in the first place. So, um, you know, being a foundational uh, species and something that everyone relies on, be it whales, penguins, seals, squid, you name it, um, climate change will have a huge impact on that. And we currently fish them as it stands. So, one of the things our foundation is calling for at the Bob Brown Foundation is an end to all fishing in Antarctica uh, to give these animals and give this ecosystem a, a fighting chance in the face of climate change. Yeah, can you tell us a bit more about the uh, the impact of fishing in the Southern Ocean and why it's, uh, yes. why it's a concern? Yeah, so fishing in the Southern Ocean uh, is something that exists on a flimsy social licence in the first place. So we're talking about factory vessels when it comes to krill, travelling you know, halfway around the world, burning obscene amounts of fuel uh, to catch, a, as I said before, a foundational uh, species for the ecosystem. And now we use that product for, for things we have alternatives for. It's pr predominantly used in fish farm feed, some, some, even in fish farm feed like we have here in Tasmania for our salmon. And it's also used as a health product, which we have many plant-based options uh, for as well. So the, the, what happens is, is these vessels go in, they hoover up enormous amounts of krill, and they hoover it up in areas where animals expect to find it. So what the science is showing is that penguin populations in particular are suffering because they're, they're going to areas where they expect to find krill, uh, and lo and behold, the, it has been sucked up already. So fishing has a huge impact uh, in, in Antarctica, um, especially for the animals. And do these proposed marine parks address their impact? 
Yeah, so the, the proposed marine parks do uh, address some of that impact. They, they are being put in areas... I mean, the, obviously, the Antarctic Peninsula one is a big one for krill fishery. Um, the ones in the Weddell sea, Weddell sea and the East Antarctic are also krill areas, but not, as, uh, not used at, at the moment. Um, they do address it, but it, it's, it's sort of like a Band-Aid for, for a massive cut, um, uh, you know, where you need stitches and proper triage. It, it's, not, it's not what the Southern Ocean is going to need in terms of the, the looming cri uh, crisis that is climate change, and it could just be too little too late uh, for the Southern Ocean. Mm. And so what would be the best way to protect these ecosystems? You mentioned um, a total ban on fishing. Um, what other human impacts need to be reduced? Is it just basically a case of leave it alone? Yeah, so the, the Southern Ocean uh, should be uh, a place free from industrial fishing. For that, That's a minimum. Of course, you know, this, this is a, a big ask to achieve, but I, I think it's something that should be imperative uh, for the nations down there, especially um, Kamala. Kamala is about to have their 40th meeting here in Hobart. Uh, the, the, it sits, I believe, on the 18th of October, and they shouldn't be looking at small incremental changes. They are the, 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 there to protect the Antarctic marine life, uh, and they should really consider um, banning fishery, fisheries down there. But there's also a, a myriad of other problems, um, whether that be tourism. Tourism is, is on the up. Um, at the moment, obviously, with COVID, it's slightly down, but that's only projected to increase. And, of course, infrastructure and uh, this ever-expanding um, growth of stations and, and uh, you know, um, logistic hubs down in Antarctica, not of least being the Davis Airport proposal by the Australian government. Mm. How can people get involved? Yeah, so at the Bob Brown Foundation, we're doing lots of different um, campaigns around this. The two that we're focusing on at the moment are uh, Krill, as I've spoken about, and the, the airport proposal. You can get in contact uh, through our email, which is contact at bobbrown.org.au. You can check out the website as well, which is www.bobbrown.org.au as well. Um, and just get involved. I'm here in Hobart, and I'm getting uh, more and more interest in the Antarctic campaign. As people in Tasmania, here in Hobart, we live so very close to Antarctica. It is just over the horizon down there, so to speak, and we should take um, sort of action for Earth and for Antarctica and to keep, um, you know, our wild places safe and free. You raise a good point. What, what is the feeling in the community? Is, this, uh, is it a bit of an uphill battle to get Australians to pay attention to what's happening in Antarctica? Um, I, I believe it is. I think it, it is worth reminding how close we are. And that Australia has had, up until now, with some, some sort of rogue proposals, has had a, a really good history of, of um, in Antarctic protection. And that's something that, you know, as Australians, we can get behind. Um, I think the community uh, here, here in Hobart has been fairly outspoken about the Davis Airport propo uh, proposal. Um, the new ship, the new ENA, will be arriving here very soon, the new icebreaker. It's due in on, the, on a couple of weeks from now, and, and that's really all we need. You know, that's an amazing scientific vessel. That bolsters our scientific... Um, sort of calibre and it makes us a real play and shows that the Australian government is, is sort of engaged in the Antarctic space. What we don't need is 115,000 tonnes of concrete poured in pristine Antarctica. So I think communi the community realises that Antarctica plays a really pivotal and important role here in Hobart 
Um, but we've got to take our protection and care of the environment seriously as well. That was Alistair Allen from the Bob Brown Foundation. And that's all we've got time for this week. To listen to this show again or any of our previous episodes, head to www.3cr.org.au forward slash radioblue. We'll be with you again next week.